The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very thought-provoking subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon we have several social media platforms with all sorts of materials you can listen to and read. Feel free to check us out on our ever-growing fan page on Facebook when you type in at Mighty Fortress 313. You can also visit our website at OurMightyFortress.com. There you're going to find all of our articles and videos and even a link to our merch store where you can help support the work. A lot of content there for you to check out. If you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, Feel free to do so through the website and the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way through our work, I would love to hear about it. So please tell us at OurMightyFortress.gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to address something that should be so near and dear to everyone who lives in America. We're going to address some of the more moral aspects that we are dealing with and the environment that the American culture has produced. I believe wholeheartedly that this is something that we need to hear, not only as Christians, but as Americans. I believe that American Christianity has been in such a haze for such a long time now, and people are just not willing to take a stand for anything, let alone for God and anything he says that is right. To paint this picture very vividly, instead of going through a whole lot of specific examples in our, say, more recent history here in America, I want to be able to compare America to what happened with the last ruler of the kingdom stage in Israel just before the Babylonian captivity. I do believe that you'll see some striking resemblance between America and even her Christians today. In the end, let's see if this truly is the guiding hope for America or will it be the last thing that she ever sees. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The story begins in the book of Jeremiah in the Bible. And as we look at this historical account of the fall of Jerusalem, I want you to picture where we're at today. 
We're also going to see the brutality of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. It's easy to overlook the real situation when we just read through the Bible, but the conversation that took place and the scenery that I'm about to read, I really want you to just think about what if you were there listening to it, or even if you were Zedekiah himself. Imagine this scene from the outside point of view, and you'll find it hits a little closer to home. All of this was part of the judgment of God. There were some very valuable lessons to learn about the judgment of God for sin, but also about the mercy and grace that led up to this point. We also have to realize that God's judgment upon Judah, it was after hundreds of years of patience. There are a lot of people that try to make God in the Old Testament some type of angry, you know, unloving type of God, but that's just absolutely ridiculous. God had hundreds of years of patience with uh, Israel and Judah and the, all the events that transpired. And really, how much more do you have to endure before God has to keep his word and bring the sword? Well, that's where we're at in this situation. And this was even after decades that the prophet Jeremiah preached. What is significant about Jeremiah is that he not only preached to, say, lower class people, but to the wealthy business owners and even the politicians. In the end, the sword fell upon Jerusalem and the Babylonian Empire was at their city walls. When we, What we read next is the aftermath of when Babylon breached the city walls and invaded the city. You can feel free to join me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 52 and starting in verse 4. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his army, against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and built forts against it round about. So the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of king Zedekiah. And in the fourth month and the ninth day of the month, a famine was sore in the city, so that there was no bread for the people in the land. Then the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled, and went forth out of the city by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was in by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were by the city round about, and they went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king, and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. And they took the king and carried him up unto the king of Babylon to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where they gave judgment upon him. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He slew also the princes of Judah and Riblah. He then put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in chains, and carried him to Babylon, and put him in prison till the day of his death. Wow, what a story. How did this man get to this point? This was the king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah. Well, the first point I want to make about this is that Zedekiah had already been giving the warning that this would happen. The captivity of the nation was foretold by the prophets, and everything hinged around the people turning their hearts back to God. This would also include the fact that 
they had to turn away from their idolatry and other abominations that took place in Judah, and God wanted his people to clean their filthy hearts. They had fallen away from worshiping the one true and living God, and their hearts were pagan. This was not far removed from what we deal with today in America. From the very beginning, we've had the example of what makes a righteous nation. The foundation was set, but we have forsaken that, and we've adopted all sorts of insanity, and literally insanity today. We have freedom in America, but really freedom is relative. Why? Because freedom is found within boundaries. Those boundaries are set by the God of the universe. If freedom doesn't have boundaries, then you have anarchy. Some people get that confused of what freedom actually means. The freedom is set within the boundaries that God puts forth. Once we started ripping at the fabric of what made America great, which was its biblical moral standard, the nation started to unravel. There have been many men of power throughout history that you can actually trace who tried to rip the fabric of the godly moral standard, and as they passed, they in part succeeded over time, and just picking away piece by piece, man by wicked man that would come, we would see this beloved nation descend into utter depravity to where we're at today. We do have to realize that in this grand story of the fall of Jerusalem, this was after a long delay of judgment from God, and he did give the king and the people every chance to repent. It took over 200 years for the sword of God to come upon the land, and he gave his people the choice to turn from their sin. The Jewish people really idolized Jerusalem as the city above cities. It seemed almost impossible to them that such a city could fall into the hands of foes. This sense of false invincibility is not really uncommon among the proud nations, the arrogant empires of, of times past. There are several times where the city had some close calls, and this was kind of the very thing that built up the pride amongst the people. Much like America today, we too are very proud, and we think that this grand republic is invincible and it cannot fall, but not so. Much like the Romans of the day of the Western Roman Empire, and no one ever thought it would fall, but it did. It ruled for nearly a thousand years, and it can happen just like that, and you know, we won't even make it to a thousand years. Just because God may favor you in any given situation, and there have been nations that God has favored, and you could see those his hand upon those particular nations during that time period, it doesn't mean that you are protected against the punishment for sin. One theologian said, quote, The most favored people to be faithless was a great and terrible wickedness. The favor of God, instead of mitigating punishment, makes a heavier penalty to be fitting for those who were so ungrateful as to sin against it. Quote. The warning was given to King Zedekiah 
about what would happen to him if he continued to lead Jerusalem and the people of Judah down the path of wickedness. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, had lived under five kings of Judah and had told many of them about the destination that Judah was heading. Now, Jerusalem had been dealt with by Babylon twice already. I have to realize that. And Zedekiah was the final king that was propped up by Nebuchadnezzar to serve as a vassal to Babylon. Zedekiah plotted against Babylon and allied himself with the Pharaoh of Egypt. He thought, well, if I team up with Pharaoh, maybe we can beat Babylon together. When Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem the second time, Pharaoh's army swept in to try to help them, and then Babylon retreated. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 37, and verse 4 says, quote, Then Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem, end quote. Now, that's probably because they didn't want to get caught from in between two fronts. That was probably pretty wise by the king of Babylon. The king was relieved, the king of Jerusalem, I mean, he was relieved and he really, he thought he beat the judgment of God. Jeremiah proclaimed that this was only the beginning because Nebuchadnezzar would come back with a greater vengeance. Do not think for one moment that America can escape the judgment of God if we continue in our wickedness. From the millions of unborn children being slaughtered in abortion to the power base of America's elite destroying American society, our nation truly is ripe for God's judgment. Next, we see the wreckage of the nation. Nebuchadnezzar did come back with his armies after he dealt with Pharaoh first. The judgment of Jerusalem was sure. And all of this people and this great city had to learn their lesson. The siege lasted 18 months and it produced horrible acts of man. Because not of only just the siege itself and the, and the battles that would take place, but you have to remember that getting supplies was not so easy. The nation had endured a famine and there wasn't much food anyways. So people were so hungry that it says written in the scripture that women devoured their own children. Now that's interesting because in the book of Deuteronomy, I believe, it says that that would be one of the judgments of, uh, of God upon the nation if they ever turned away. It's just funny how that would play out several hundred years later. One theologian said, quote, The siege ended in, with the capture, capture of Jerusalem. The force of Nebuchadnezzar was great and terrible, but behind it was the judicial will of heaven. End quote. Zedekiah did have every chance to turn his heart back to God and lead his people in the way that they should go. But he was a weak leader. He was constantly swayed by the people around him and the unwise counsel that he kept at his side. Multiple times, Zedekiah heard from the prophet Jeremiah himself about this judgment and the specific commands given from the Lord. He even met with Jeremiah secretly a few times to hear what God had to say about the situation. It's almost as if he knew what the right thing to do was, but he still chose to walk away. 
America, too, has had her prophets declaring the judgment of God for decades. And many have just turned away their ears. Too many Christians have believed that, well, if we just had the right politicians in, then things would change. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that we had Republican control of the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the presidency. But guess what? Nothing changed. Sure, I used to be one of those people that said that too. And then the sad realization came forth. It just came screaming forth to say, wait, the foundation to this argument, this idea is wrong. It doesn't start with a change of government. It starts with a change of our hearts back to God. Sure, there were some good men who did stand, but in the end, nothing ultimately changed. We're left with our own societal wickedness, and we have to deal with this nonsense that we hear every day, such as the sexual perversion taking place in our society. Now, when Babylon's armies broke through the city walls, that was it, and there was no, no reprieve. Zedekiah and his princes thought that they could escape out the back gate and he tried to run uh, from the army and maybe just a part probably a uh, a personal guard type of uh, force he tried to run away from his fate but guess what it was predicted by the prophet but he trusted in his own counsel Nebuchadnezzar would make sure of his final point to Zedekiah the princes Zedekiah trusted in more than the prophet of God were slain before him. Remember, these were the men that Zedekiah was afraid of. His own children were slain before his eyes. Now think about that. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make a point. This would be the last thing that you ever see. I'm going to slay the people that you listen to. And really, it was a point that God was making. I'm going to slay the person, the people that you were listening to, and I'm going to slay your sons and your family before your eyes, and then I'm going to pluck your eyeballs out. That would be the last thing that he ever saw, and then Nebuchadnezzar took his eyeballs and cut them out. He blinded Zedekiah and brought him back to Babylon, where he remained detained until his eventual death. Nebuchadnezzar wanted Zedekiah to live with the remorse of his choices. That will be the last thing that he ever saw, the thing that he would think about until the day of his death. One theologian said that he was, quote, dethroned, humiliated, in chains, in a dungeon, bereaved of his children. The poor, blind king is left to the agony of his own bitter thoughts, end quote. It was just several years ago, before COVID, that I went to the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit in Pasadena, California. What an amazing exhibit it was to see ancient scriptures of the Old Testament written just before you. Uh, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, uh, a portion of Isaiah. It was truly amazing to see such ancient scriptures penned. But there was one particular part of the exhibit that really struck me. As I came around this one particular corner in the exhibit, you saw arrowheads and spear points from the Assyrian army that would take Samaria and the northern kingdom. 
They used all arrowheads and spear points uh, of the Babylonian army that took uh, Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. Now they had Assyria uh, in rows up top and then they had uh, Babylon down at the bottom. And you just look at those those arrow points and those spearheads and you got to think to yourself, man, I wonder if those probably killed somebody. And then it dawned on me, you were looking at the judgment of God. But then as you look to the right of that uh, baseboard in which they had all those things propped up, it showed exactly what those kingdoms were judged for because right next to it were little statuettes of little pagan deities of Asherah and Baal and the like. You truly saw the judgment of God. It should strike us today because this can be America's end too if we continue the spiral downwards. Finally, we see the wounds of sin upon a people. The effects of sin upon the nation of Judah and all the people affected was truly terrible. The book of Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11 says, quote, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? End quote. That was the cry of God through his prophet. Why will you choose death over life? Wow, that's very powerful. We have this picture that God is just a God of love and nothing else. Or in the Old Testament, just a God of being angry. But look, he is first and foremost holy. A loving Heavenly Father will chastise his children to teach them right from wrong. We see that clearly painted in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 says, quote, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. What that's saying is that if you don't see, receive your spanking, sort of say, from God, however he chooses to do that in your life, then you're not a son. You're a bastard. You're not one of God's sons. Our sins in our life can have a terrible impact, not only upon us, but those who follow us. The example of Jerusalem mirrors how God will deal with us in our Christian life. Throughout the kingdom stage, God sent messengers through, uh, to his people just to, hey, the, turn them away from their sin. The cry was great. Turn from your sins. He sent minor judgments upon them to chastise them and show them, hey, they very much needed to correct their ways, but they didn't. They still chose to go down the path of destruction. And really, that's human nature, isn't it? When you become so consumed with pride and lust, it becomes so easy just to tune out the Holy Spirit and continue down the path of destruction. Book of Proverbs chapter 27 verse 20 says, quote, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied, end quote. The ultimate end to the chastisement of the Lord is that he ends your time here on earth. 
If you're a born again child of God, you don't lose your salvation, but you'll you'll sure lose out of your rewards in heaven. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 starting in verse 11 says, "For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest." For the day shall declare it, because he shall, it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work for what sort it is. End quote. This verse is not talking about salvation. He's, he's talking about the judgment of believers. It's not for their eternal destiny, but for what kind of rewards or lack thereof that you'll receive in heaven. And of course, God doesn't really tell us how those re rewards translate into uh, eternity and i think there's probably good reason why because you know we tend to make up all sorts of goofy stuff that we don't have to we don't really understand so i see the a little bit of what god's trying to do there but he does tell us that christians once you believe in christ as your as your savior you're to get busy you're to do things for the lord serve god and if you don't do that or you do things that are wicked he will chastise you and you lose out in rewards in heaven and even if we turn from our sins just know that those sins will have consequences upon you that we're going to have to bear if, oftentimes for the rest of our life. In the Christian context, when we participate in various sins, they can leave marks upon our minds and bodies. Let's just take some more extreme examples like alcoholism or drug addicts. Well, those substances will take a toll on your body. You know, I, I once knew a young Christian person that was very bitter because though he was saved, he had a hard time dealing with his his dad, who was a preacher, and he was struggling with kidney failure. Well, the story behind that was that his dad was a drunkard, and he had got gloriously saved, and God used him greatly. And he was seeing people saved, he was preaching and teaching, but he had kidney failure from time to time, and he had to deal with that through his life, and it caused great stress and pain. But, you know, after he got out of the hospital, he'd go back to go preaching, but sometimes he'd have to go right back in. And his the son was very bitter about that, like, well, why is God, God should, you know, heal him and, and, and do things, keep him pushing forward. But no, no, I don't believe his dad saw it that way. That was actually a gift. Because it was through that alcoholism that he found Christ. It was that what was used to reach him for Christ. And I don't think his dad would have traded that for anything in the world. But his, the son couldn't really understand that. He thought it was a curse. But it really was just a thorn in the flesh. But be it known that God's not through with you until he's through with you. So... Even if you do have to bear those kinds of scars and suffer a little later in life, that's okay. You're not going to be done until God says it's time to be done. So yeah, you may have to bear some marks, but God will walk you through the fire. Of course, you do have uh, mental addictions that people can get into. Pornography, gambling, and other debauched lifestyles that can cause mental impressions upon your mind that you don't ever forget. Either way, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can turn from these sins, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, quote, 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. End quote. Why is it that we so often have to learn the hard way? I, I know I do. I am straight guilty of this. Why do we choose to go ahead and bear the marks of sin? It's a human sinful nature. Why is it that we choose to lose the great and precious things that the Lord has for us due to sin? We have a choice. We can very much be like Zedekiah standing before Nebuchadnezzar when we're captured in our sins and our sins destroy us. Those sins can destroy our families, our relationships, and even our ministries. The last thing that we'll see before we permanently destroy what was once good, we're going to have them ripped away. When that happens, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. May God help us keep eternity in mind and our hearts tender towards him. There are rewards in heaven and glory to God for, for living the way that we should and reaching the world for Christ. There are so many impacted by our own choices. And if we could really grasp that, it, we would literally change the world for Christ. Don't be a Zedekiah. Be a Christian, which means to be Christ-like, to be like Christ. Now, of course, maybe you're listening and you don't really know what it means to be a Christian. Let me say this, that there are two sure things that you can count on. First, we're going to die. And after that, there's going to be a judgment. C.S. Lewis once said that, quote, There were two kinds of people in the world. Those who bend their knee to God and say, Your will be done and others who refuse to bend their knee to God, and God says, all right, your will be done. And well, the scripture says that those people will be cast into the lake of fire at the judgment. There is a major difference for Christians, though, because we're going to meet Christ as our Savior, and through him we have redemption. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and the payment of your sins will just be covered and taken away and borne by Jesus himself. And you too can have redemption. If you want more on that, please listen to our podcast number five. Or you can take a look at our website and click the link how to be born again under that tab. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to think about the sin that greatly has affected our nation. Even in our own lives. Will it be the last thing that we ever see? Will it be the last thing that America ever sees? The choice is up to individual Christians. We can make the difference. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content. And remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.